thank you very much. Um, so, uh, as Paul said, I'm here this afternoon as editor of Sheffield History Department's collective blog, which is called History Matters. And um, although I'm also the social media coordinator for the department, and as some of you know, um, I'm on Twitter and I kind of do some public history and bits of TV and consultancy occasionally in my own right, that's not what I'm going to be talking about this afternoon, um, though I can in questions if people want me to. Um, they asked me to talk about blogging, particularly in an institutional context, because as became quite clear from my comments, I come at this very specifically from doing these things within a university department. So I guess my advice is constrained by that. Um, I hope that some of you might have come across History Matters before. Uh, if you haven't, um, we launched in December 2012. Since then, we've had over 100 blogs from uh, a nearly 50 different contributors and about 41,000 unique readers, um, which is doubtless nothing compared to history today, but is um, quite large for a university discipline-specific blog, I'm led to believe. Um, this year, we were fortunate enough to be shortlisted for History Today's Digital History Prize, so I guess what I'm supposed to do today is to try and give you the benefit of my somewhat limited experience about the kind of things you might want to bear in mind if you're considering launching a blog, especially a collective blog or a departmental blog. To be honest, I had an awful lot of trouble getting everything I wanted to say down to 15 minutes um, that were acceptable for public consumption. So um, apologies if this is a bit of a mad dash through a lot of issues or if some of this seems either blindingly obvious or not obvious enough um, because it's hard to pitch to a, such a diverse audience. Essentially I've tried to pare it down to five key areas that you might want to bear in mind if you're thinking about doing this kind of uh, institutional collective blogging or, or blogging generally I think. So um, first of all I guess this seems like an obvious question but why are you setting up a blog? Who is it for? What is it for? Um, I know that really is three questions, not one question, um, but it's all about one issue, really. The same as was raised with regard to the press releases, and that's having a clear sense of your audience. If your blog is a recruitment initiative for undergraduates, for example, you're going to produce very different content, very different style than you would if it's a research blog intended for other academics. In the case of History Matters, we made life rather difficult for ourselves by having a lot of different goals when we set up the blog. Um, the department already had a moderately successful Facebook page and a Twitter, but they were being used mostly by administrators for things like institutional announcements, seminars, uh, things for current students. And what we were thinking about was trying to have more of an integrated social media strategy, something that I think is really important if you're going to have a successful blog. As part of that, uh, one of the big issues was getting more academic voices involved. I think that departmental social media is too often left to administrators who often do a very good job, but it's a shame when that happens. And we also wanted to raise the profile of the department's research and public engagement activities. It was a bit more than that, though. We kind of aspired to create a shared intellectual public space where we could contribute to debates that were going on outside of academia as well as try and initiate some of those debates, create some debates. One of the strong themes of the blog, as some of you will know, is history behind the headlines. And even though we do a wide range of things, I think that um, this 
common thread focusing on the historical context or relevance of current events has helped to give the blog a coherence that it maybe wouldn't have had otherwise, and as well as a, a kind of appealing to a popular interest. So essentially, I would say you need to have a, a clear strategy for what you want to achieve and why, preferably a strategy that isn't restricted to the blog, but takes in other kinds of digital and other public engagement outlets. My second question, and this kind of comes, I keep coming back to this, I think, when I talk about blogging, is who is going to do all of the work? And make no mistake about it, a blog is a lot of work if you want to do it well. And so it's really important to get institutional and collective commitment to the blog before you go about setting one up. Now, I don't just mean in terms of official support, but also a kind of wider intellectual investment on the part of your colleagues, um, as well as the administration. The difficulty is that blogging and social media are the kind of thing that often seem like a great idea at the time, and your head of department and your colleagues will make encouraging noises about it. But if they're actually not going to help out, that doesn't get you very far. Um, Social media is a really relentless medium. You have to feed the beast all the time or people lose interest. And that's really, really hard work. It's not something you can set aside one morning a week to do. Um, it needs to go on all the time. Now, you obviously don't need all of your colleagues to commit to writing for a blog for one to work, but you do need a core of people who are interested and who are likely to contribute and help out on a regular basis. And I would say don't be surprised if some of your colleagues who you think of as quite social media savvy aren't exactly sure what blogging is and what distinguishes it from other kinds of writing. Um, or even actually are quite suspicious of it as a medium. Um, uh, there is this sense, as Paul said, that perhaps it's dumbing down or appealing to a popular market in a way that some people might not want to. Personally, I found that talking about the blog as an extension of the kind of public engagement work we already do in the department, in which the vast majority of people do, really helped, as well as talking about it um, as a a shared intellectual public space. This, this kind of language helped to, to break down the perceived barrier between new media and things that historians do all the time already. Institutional support is also really important, I think, especially if you're going to want administrative or technical help. Um, to give you an idea, in Sheffield, I am fortunate enough to have a supportive head of department and colleagues, uh, in-house IT people in history, as well as interns at various times, uh, but I still spend an inordinate amount of time working on the blog and on our other social media, far more than is ever going to be rewarded by any workload allocation model. And I'm uh, although new media are theoretically very welcome in universities, I think there is a real lack of understanding about exactly what social media entails in practical terms. I've found there's a sort of sense that digital means collaborative and therefore not all that much work, something you can do in your spare time. Um, and actually, Producing a good blog is the very opposite of the definition of the term not very much work. You know, it really takes a lot of effort. 
I would be, and this sounds like a kind of hypocritical thing to say, but I would be really wary of being the individual nominated by your institution to run a blog. Um, even though I do it, and it's great, and I, I don't want to put people off, um, if you're not very careful, you can end up writing all the content as well and doing everything yourself. Um, I can think of at least one institution who shall remain nameless, who set up a history department blog. That is how it's built. It's still going. But all of the content, without exception, is written by a single person, whatever it's about. This is a huge amount of work, and I strongly suspect it is vastly underappreciated by their department, uh, and almost certainly under-rewarded, and it also knocks the quality and the credibility of the content. You can't be an expert on the Cathars and the Cold War. It just doesn't work. And that brings me to my third point, which is that the quality of the content really, really matters. If you want people to take you seriously, you have to have something interesting to say on a regular basis. And you need to think really hard about the style in which it's communicated as well. Even just acquiring content of any standard isn't always very easy. If you're lucky, as I often am, you will have great contributors who regularly volunteer to write pieces for you. But more often than not, even if you have those contributors, you're going to need to supplement their material by commissioning pieces on specific topics from specific individuals. You will often find that people who wouldn't think of volunteering to write for the blog, if you go to them and say, there's this news story that ties into your research really, really well, have you thought about writing something, actually are quite keen to do it if they're given a bit of support. Um, but it's not just a case of getting people to write for you. Uh, one of the reasons I think we've been fortunate enough to find interested readers for History Matters is that we have quite strong editorial controls. Now, I'm not saying all of our blogs are perfect. Of course, they're not. Um, and blogging as a medium is not supposed to be perfect and polished and take you ages and ages. But when someone submits a blog, we don't just thank our lucky stars and publish it, although that is sometimes very tempting when we're short of content. Um, you need an editor or editors, for History Matters, usually me, though, though sometimes other colleagues, who will check it, make suggestions for improvement. Um, and of course, given that blogging, at least in institutions, certainly in Sheffield, is based largely on goodwill and bits of string. You need to do all of that in a tone that implies that their work is fantastic and you hugely appreciate it, but would they just mind tweaking it a little bit only for the format? It's not that there's anything wrong with it. Um, so it's quite a delicate process sometimes, with, especially with people that you don't know very well or, or who are new bloggers. Blogging is quite a specific skill. Even very good writers don't always find it a very easy thing to do. And there's no one right or wrong way to write accessible and interesting prose, which is all that it is at the end of the day. But there are specific tricks that you can use that work on the web that will increase your reader base and that it, it's different in writing for a digital format to writing for a print format. Just like writing for a journal is different to writing for a newspaper. The root of most of those tricks, um, which I can talk about more if people want, is, but um, I don't have time to do a lot on, is that people's attention span is much shorter on the web, and they have different expectations for what the content will look like. Um, in terms of the attention span, we all know that that's true. I mean, how often do you click on a link, glance at the page, and then click away before ever really reading it? Um, so you not only want to aim for more concise writing, ideally no more than 800 words. History Matters has an absolute cap of 1,000. Um, 
the, but it also needs to be cut into shorter paragraphs. Um, but also, I would say you need to hook people much more at the beginning of an article with the, a reason to read what you're saying. Um, it's no good waiting till the third paragraph, for example, to tell someone that you're an expert on Russian history and that's why they should read what you're saying about the Ukraine rather than one of the other 500 articles that they could get about it. You need to give them a, a reason to carry on reading much more than you do in a newspaper, I think, or, or in, a, in a journal. Um, when you're under pressure to produce content regularly, um, it's very tempting just to put stuff out there and hope for the best. But although we do always try and work with contributors to make their work more blog friendly, in some rare cases we've actually refused content if in the end we couldn't make it do what we were uh, trying to make it do. Usually, actually, I should say, because they're puff pieces. Um, but uh, we... we, we you know, we put quite a lot of effort as well into things like the fact that the presentation of the blog is to a high standard, quite a lot of consistency between posts. Personally, I see it as much like editing a magazine. Um, and of course, that brings me back to my point that it can be an awful lot of work to do well especially if you're planning to work with students or with inexperienced new bloggers a lot. The fourth thing I would say you need to bear in mind um, in launching a blog is that it doesn't matter how good the content is. There's no good putting it out there unless you have a platform or platforms to promote it. Doesn't matter how brilliant or interesting you are if nobody knows about it. For us, Twitter and Facebook have been the most effective ways of promoting our material. Um, with the department's Twitter feed added to mine and those of uh, colleagues, we're able to reach quite a large number of people, especially with Twitter's trickle-down effect. Um, it's not enough, though, just to have followers. You have to use those outlets strategically. For example, by putting out content you know is likely to appeal to the people who follow you, uh, promoting the blog at key times of the day and week. Experience on History Matters suggests that Fridays and weekends are pretty much blog death in terms of readers, unless it's a gigantic news story. Um, and trying to keep up with the news cycle. People get fed up with things really, really quickly. Getting the university involved for us uh, in promoting particularly topical or locally interesting stories has worked well because obviously their social media has a much wider reach than ours does. And if you don't already know what it is, and I'm not going to go into it now, you really want to find out what search engine optimization is uh, and use appropriate plugins for it. Good channels of promotion, I think, are particularly important for a blog like ours, which has really, really diverse content. It's hard for us to build up a core of interested readers because one week we're talking about the Tudors and the next week it's the Spanish Civil War. If you have a blog on a niche subject, people come back again and again to see what you're talking about. We, on the other hand, have to promote each blog individually, which is, again, more work. And that brings me back to audience. If you're interested in targeting only the 40 people who work in a very specific field in influ or in influencing a very specific group of policy makers, for example, your promotion is going to look very, very different to that of a blog that hopes to reach a wide audience inside and outside academia like ours does. You need to decide what success looks like for you, how you're going to measure it, and I would say how you're going to evidence it to your department if you're hoping to get anything out of this. Um, my final question, I guess, 
seems a bit odd maybe coming from someone like me who is, whatever it might sound like, an enthusiast for social media as a way of having these conversations. Do you really need a blog? Blogging has become really popular as a medium in the last few years. I think because to a lot of people, it seems like an easy win in terms of public engagement or impact, obviously. You set up a blog, and then you can claim that you're engaging with the public, making your work available to a wider audience, and so on and so forth. But the reality is that blogging isn't always the right medium for that. Too many institutional blogs are either very sparsely populated or are actually newsletters with really very little real content. Once you call something a blog, people have specific expectations of it, I think. Um, they expect actual articles, not just book and seminar announcements, um, though you could incorporate some of those if you do it in the right way. Um, if what you really want is to announce events and publications, maybe what you need is a Twitter or a Facebook or a newsletter. If you want to put out occasional policy papers or scholarly papers, maybe what you need is a web page. Some of those might be hosted on a blog uh, system. They're very convenient and collaborative, but don't assume that blogging is necessarily the answer. Blogging can be a really fantastic way of engaging with the public, promoting your work, entering into really fantastic, fascinating dialogues with lots of different types of people, but it's not a magic bullet and it's not right for everyone. So I guess in conclusion, what all this adds up to um, in, I hope, 15 minutes is uh, plan well, be really strategic, know what you want to achieve and why, and do not underestimate the amount of work it entails. I don't want to discourage you from trying, just think about what you're trying to achieve and how you're going to get there before embarking on setting up a blog. Thank you.